This week on Geeksplained, the second installment of our latest month-long series takes a deep dive into the evolution of anime, how it's changed over time, and what makes the genre so great. It's time for Anime Part 2. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is part two of our month-long series, Anna May. Because, because, yeah, you get it. You know what it is. So this week, we're going to be taking a look at the history of anime, how it's changed over time, comparing and contrasting two different eras of anime. Because it's been around almost as long as conventional Western comics, perhaps even longer. So I'm really excited to talk about this, and joining me on this endeavor is going to be another new guest to the podcast, Mr. John Noble. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of Harley Quinn Season 2, and of course, this week's comics callback. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so we got some news for you this week. Of course, we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No no comics news this week, but we do have uh, pieces of news for each of our other categories. So let's go ahead and jump into miscellaneous news. And miscellaneous news this week is all video game news. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and dive into it. First off, uh, probably the newest bit of news of the week is that we're getting a full-on remastering of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. They're going to be bundled together, remastered, and released on September 4th, 2020. Um, I don't know about you, but I really loved the original Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games, so this is something that I might I might dig into. I might, uh, I might spend some time on this, because the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series was... Um, revolutionary for its time and it also was one of those weird crossover uh, crossover projects where you would see like Spider-Man and Wolverine and like other characters like that pop up as like secret characters and the company behind uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was also the company behind Neversoft was behind um, the original Spider-Man game. So uh, the Spider-Man game on PS1, um, I absolutely adore. It's something that I have a lot of nostalgia for. And apparently the company that is handling the remastering was behind Spider-Man 2 Electro's Revenge. So I'm looking forward to this. Should be good stuff. Another one that I'm really looking forward to, uh, we got the full announcement for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, That is the new Assassin's Creed game in the series taking place in ancient Viking time. Um... I'm excited about it. I love Norse mythology. I love everything having to do with that. I was a huge, huge fan of uh, the newest God of War game. 
I've always been a fan of just that realm and that um, that whole history and place and location. So I'm excited about this. It does feel like even I would say even more so than Odyssey that Assassin's Creed seems to be less about Assassin's Creed uh, with each new installment. The last I would say true ish Assassin's Creed game was probably Origins with Bayek, but. Either way, I'm excited. Uh, we also got what was, I guess, promoted to be a gameplay trailer over at Inside Xbox. Um, and that's not what happened. <laughs> this was big news on our last piece of news in the miscellaneous category. But uh, Inside Xbox is the big, you know, uh, Xbox only I guess, event where they show off games coming to the console, uh, showing off stuff about the console. We got some uh, new looks at the Xbox Series X that's coming out later this year. And um, they showed some trailers for some games that all promised gameplay trailers, but none of them were gameplay trailers. <laughs> they were either cinematic trailers or uh, previews into the actual game engine. And this caused quite a stir for lots of gaming fans, and rightfully so, because I was expecting to jump into this event and see some gameplay for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but um, that's not what we got. We just got some uh, clips of what the world looks like in the game engine, and while it looks pretty, looks really, really good, we didn't get any gameplay. So I'm hoping that we're going to get more info from that as the uh, time goes on. We did get sort of an official release date for uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's supposed to be holiday 2020. That can mean anywhere from, honestly, end of October until December. So somewhere in there, we're going to be getting that new Assassin's Creed game. So I'm excited about it. Really looking forward to it. Uh, jumping over to film news, we got some news on both the Disney and Warner Brothers side. Uh, Disney has officially announced that they are moving up the release on Disney Plus for Hamilton, the movie. Um, it's not what you think. It's not a full, like, movie adaptation like we're getting from In the Heights at some point. But uh, this is actually going to be a uh, live stage production of Hamilton with the original Broadway cast that's going to be filmed cinematically. So um, we've seen that for stuff like Legally Blonde, um, other like really popular musicals and shows. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, they've moved it up. They are eyeing an early July, like first week of July release for that. So we're only a couple months away. So I'm really excited about it. And I know this is going to be a big, um, big deal for a lot of people who haven't been able to see Hamilton live, including myself. And uh, now we're going to get to see it arguably in its best form with uh, the original Broadway cast. Um, as many people who worked on the original um, on the original production involved. Really, really cool. I'm really excited about it. Over on the Warner Brothers side, we got the release of Justice League Dark Apocalypse War that released last week. I did watch it. If people want me to do a spoiler-filled review, I can do that, but I'm going to do just a brief spoiler-free review for you here in case you haven't seen it yet and you want to go watch it. I liked it. It was fine. Um, I think it accomplished uh showcasing both the best and worst parts of the um new 52 era of justice league animated films it's um it's graphic it's incredibly graphic um 
some of the violence that is uh, perpetrated on some of these characters is really shocking. Uh, and the story doesn't go where you think it's going to go. So um, overall, I think it's worth a watch, at least so that you can have an understanding of where they're going to go uh, moving forward with the DC animated movies. Uh, the next, I guess, uh, tease or the next film that is coming out is Superman Man of Tomorrow. Uh, we've gotten more, uh, what's it called, uh, teases for it. We've gotten more first looks at like the animation style, uh, some of the cast. I'm interested. I'm still, you know, they haven't put out a very good Superman film in a little while now. I will say that the... Um, uh, the duo of Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman is still probably the best Superman film we've had in a few years. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that it's going to be uh, that this new Superman Man of Tomorrow story is going to be good. We've gotten uh, some interesting looks at the animation. It looks cool. It looks almost like they're trying to put like flat Fleischer style animation on top of like more detailed backgrounds. So I'm all in for a shakeup of the visual art style uh phil barassa's designs for the entire new 52 era of uh dc animated films was good but it all kind of came out feeling very samey so i'm glad that they're starting to reach out a little bit more for their uh for their art style uh we also see in some of the photos that they are going to be borrowing a little bit from um from the Superman American Alien comic. I still really enjoy that comic, despite the person who was in charge of it being a less than great human being. Uh, that's putting it very conservatively. Um, he is kind of a piece of garbage person. But um, I'm interested in the story. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Um, apparently, with the home release or... Um, the Blu-ray release of uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, you, there is like a 10-minute first look at the film. I haven't watched that, but I am looking for it. So uh, if that gets posted up, I will definitely be taking a look at that. Uh, moving on to TV news. Uh, some pretty exciting stuff. Swamp Thing. I bet you didn't think we were going to be talking about that anytime soon. Uh, Swamp Thing, the, uh, I guess, doomed DC Universe show has been picked up by CW. Now, before you get really excited, because I got really excited when I saw the headline for this, uh, they are not producing new episodes. However, they have picked up the entire first season that originally showed on uh, DC Universe, and they are going to be uh, basically releasing it weekly to, from what I can tell, gauge the audience for it. Um, this is a great move, I think, by the CW, just because they're not really getting a whole lot of um, uh, new content right now. All of the uh, Arrowverse shows had to uh, stop production prematurely, and so all of them are actually ending with their 19th episode, some even less, uh, this week. So um, I think getting new programming on, even if it's programming that a portion of your audience has seen, will be good for them in the long run. And who knows, if it's popular enough, they may, uh, they may save it. So we'll see. Um, I'm excited for a wider audience to see Swamp Thing. I think it's one of those shows that was had a lot of potential and just wasn't able to or wasn't really given the room to fly. So fingers crossed for Swamp Thing. Uh, this past week also saw the end of the Clone Wars final season. Um, overall, again, spoiler-free review, 
I loved it. I really, really loved it. The uh, the majority of the of the season was you know all the kind of stuff that you love from normal Clone Wars, but the final four chapters is probably the greatest uh, two hours of Star Wars that we've gotten in quite some time. So I'm really excited about it, and it really got me got my gears turning to go uh, watch Rebels again because if anything, the uh, final the final four episodes really feeds into uh, that next show as it's really as its sequel series. So I'm excited. It's really, really just a great collection of episodes. If you've been waiting to jump into the final season, uh, binge it. It's fantastic. It is absolutely worth your time. And it will not be the last Star Wars thing we're talking about because the next thing and the final piece of news that we have is some news for another Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, which apparently is supposed to still uh, debut late this year. So we'll see if that happens. But uh, two new uh, casting Two new casting announcements have uh, have popped up, and uh, they're two pretty important characters. First off, Bo-Katan, who is a longtime uh, Clone Wars character. She was the leader of Mandalore at the closing of the Clone Wars, and we really didn't get to see what was up with Mandalore post that. So... Um, Bo-Katan will be joining the Mandalorian, played by Katie Sackhoff. So Katie Sackhoff's great. She's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what she does. And then the other character is Boba Fett. So Boba Fett, really exciting. I am really surprised that they've got Boba Fett coming on to the Mandalorian because it's supposed to be past uh, Return of the Jedi. So, um... I don't know exactly what they're going to do with this, how they're going to explain him being alive. Who knows? Um, but he will be played by Tamura Morrison, who played Jango Fed, who played, you know, the clones and the uh, prequel trilogy. I think it's great. I think it's awesome that they're bringing him back um, and kind of seeing where he fits into the Mandalorian's world. As long as they explain it in a way that makes sense and doesn't, you know, retroactively retcon anything that we have previously seen. I am all for it. So that is going to do it for this week's news. We are now going to roll on into the main course, the entree, if you will, of this episode, which is part two of our anime series uh, featuring special guest John Noble. We're going to be talking about the evolution of anime. I think it's time we blow this scene, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. All right, so we are here. It is our second installment of the Geek Explained Anime, because because you know it's it's anime in the month of month of May. You get it, you get it. So last week we took a look at kind of the intro to anime, like where to get started, what anime to check out. This week we're gonna take a bigger. Um, a bigger look at how anime has evolved over time because it has been around for a very long time and 
just like any kind of medium, it evolves as the years go by. And as someone who kind of grew up through the evolution of anime, especially when it comes to its uh, impact on Western audiences, I really want to talk about this. And to do this, joining me in this discussion is another newcomer to the podcast, John Noble. John, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Eric? I'm good, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course, uh, I am happy to be here. I am a, I am a fan and a fan of anime, so I'm, I'm glad you uh, thought of me. So, John, I want to ask you real quick before we dive into the full discussion, um, what was your first exposure to anime? What was your first anime? So, I think this is true for a lot of people, and that would... Um, I think it's Pokemon. Pokemon is certainly my first, like, uh, toe dip into anime. Uh, uh, but not... Not just anime, just uh, like Eastern television in general, you know, it uh, and then Yu-Gi-Oh and then all those like WB58 kind of shows that uh, just kind of exploded when I was younger. Um, Yeah, a lot lot of that uh, Fox Kids was big when I was growing up too. like those kind of they threw in shows like. I think that was it, that might have been where I saw One Piece for the first time, but it was definitely mm-hmm. where I saw shows like Shaman King, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, D- Kids WB, Fox Kids, like that was a big, uh, a big outlet for anime fans first getting introduced to it. Now, how long have you been an anime fan? How, what age do you can you estimate? Oh man, so. Uh... Funny story about this. I had a friend, my first like best friend ever. It was in third grade, right? Uh, first time I met him, it was at a pencil sharpener in class. Uh, I turned around, I was sharpening my pencil, and apparently I was taking too long. I turn around and I look at him, and he's a scary looking guy. And I uh, he had like a black eye because he like hurt himself the day before or something, so he looked super scary. And then uh, eventually, me and that guy started talking, and he's the one that introduced me to to like Pokemon and then uh and then we went on to um to watch he showed me like stuff like Inuyasha and like Toonami and and like Dragon Ball Z so it was like third grade so it was like I don't know like I don't know how old third graders are six I was like six like like eight not I don't don't know anymore It, it feels like a lifetime ago Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we wanted to talk about in this discussion kind of like the evolution of anime. Anime through the through the lens of someone who has kind of watched it evolve, not just being kind of a niche uh, genre from uh, from the West, like coming over and really like kind of ruling the world in certain aspects. So we've got a couple uh, talking points here, and I definitely want to get your feedback and your um, your expertise on this because you are one of the foremost experts on anime in our inner circle. So I definitely wanted to get your input on this. Uh, the first category that we're going to take a look at is art style. So art style is probably one of the things, one of the first things that when you're getting introduced to anime or you aren't super familiar with it, you're going to notice it for the first yeah, time. it catches your eye. It's, it's part of what catches your eye first. Yeah, bright colors, big eyes, very ex- like expressive. Um, and there, I think there's a pretty clear distinction between like the art styles of like classic anime versus modern anime. Um, oh, yeah. How, how do you, what do you... Um, 
how would you differentiate classic anime versus modern anime when it comes to art style? Well, it's a lot uh, like old art style, like let's say like going way back is like Astro Boy. It was all very basic and it was all very, uh, it was more cartoonish, like Western cartoonish. The the lines were a lot harder, like they're a lot harder lines instead of like the, the thin lines we see in the drawings now and the backgrounds weren't as detailed and everything wasn't as, as expressive because it, it took a lot in order to make movement. So they had to do little things within each frame to make the anime come alive, which was uh, very interesting. And even Astro Boy, his like joints and everything uh, were like drawn a certain way just so he could be animated better. And then, but now we look at stuff like, like uh, Black Clover. It is, it is in depth, it is colorful and it is, uh, it, it is brighter and even the fight scenes and the movements are are incredibly different um yeah there's a there's a lot that i think goes in goes into uh um the drawing of anime yeah absolutely agree i think like a lot of times when i look at classic anime it's a lot of like it, it's either one of two things it's like very round faces and very like portly characters or they're like super angular and like very yeah. <laughs> um, very like you said harsh lines um the also like the art style wasn't super heavily focused on like world building and what i mean by that is like a lot of the focus was on like characters with like blank backgrounds or like action yeah. lines around them there wasn't a whole lot of um depth when it comes to the scenes that would be involved exactly um, like speed racer it was just yes kind of like one scene but the background kind of looked like it was just moving a little bit and then it was just like oh ah, ah, just flashes of him and uh that made for great parody later on but <laughs> yes and we're definitely gonna be coming back to speed racer at a later uh category here but um, a lot of anime that I think from that time when it comes to, like, the art style that jumps out to me is, like, uh, like a Speed Racer, like a Gigantor, and, like, uh, like even, like, a Loop in the Third, or the one that I, I don't know why I always equate this with, like, 70s to 80s anime. Fist of the North Star is oh, so yeah. clearly, like, an 80s anime in the yeah. way that it's designed, <laughs> the way that it's... Um, characters look they're all very like jacked like arnold schwarzenegger slash sylvester stallone looking guys and it's always like really interesting to see how that has kind of um kind of softened over time like we yeah, do still that's, get... that's like 20 years after astro boy too so it's amazing that it could like just make that leap and bounds in just two decades absolutely agree and like you see like that evolution in the um in that art style, like, it's, you know, like I said, it was either, like, a round face or, like, an angular face. And as, like, years have gone by, it's kind of merged. Like, they've blended a little bit more. Like, you see, um, like, in a, uh, in, like, a One Punch Man or, a, um, like, a My Hero Academia, like, very angular faces will also be in different shots, like, softened up to, like, show a different expression or to uh, express a certain... Uh, personality but it's really Definitely. interesting how that's evolved not just in characters but also like i was saying earlier in the world like you see a lot more detailed buildings you saw you see a lot more detailed like i i am routinely like surprised by the definition of cars 
because like you look at stuff like uh like old school dragon ball there is a very specific scene where uh goku is fighting tien in like old school dragon ball and the fight is during a tournament and it's decided when because they both get essentially like ring outs but goku hits a car on his way down to the ground and so he hits the ground first so he loses but that specific truck looks very like you said like very cartoony much more um i guess uh western influenced but like you look at stuff like today and you see like definition in cars you see definition in vehicles you see definition in buildings even clothes are much more uh yeah they're much more detailed you can see the ruffles you can see the holes in them things like that but i think um Gundam was a huge influence on like how oh, much detail yeah. animes put into uh how much detail is put into anime cuz uh Gundam had like there, before Gundam there wasn't there wasn't an incredible amount of detail like in spaceships and stuff but they started getting into sci-fi in like in like the late 70s and like early to late 80s uh they started getting into that sci-fi and it was so cool to see how much detail they were putting behind all these Gundams and stuff and I think a lot of animes now do take from do take from like that kind of era, you know, like Fist of the North Star. It was amazing, but it was also very detailed. Um, so I think the detailing of anime has just grown. But there's also something kind of like cool and subtle about um, like a slice of life. There's not a lot of detail in it, but it's just classrooms. But it's still uh, very detailed in the color and the lighting and everything. Um but yeah, it's it's incredible. I think Gundam had a huge influence on on uh, anime detail as a whole. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Gundam was one of those first anime that I really like got attached to because like I mean, what's not cool about giant robots? And like every single like giant robot anime that came after it stuff like the big O, stuff like that, like really I had to look through the lens of Gundam. I was like, if this isn't as good as Gundam, like I'm going to leave this alone. Cause like, that's my measuring stick for giant robot anime, but <laughs> moving forward into the next category. And I think you made a lot of re really good points when it comes to like slice of life stories, uh, the definition when it comes to the influences of those mid to late eighties anime uh, storytelling has really changed throughout the uh, throughout the years. I think a lot of classic, uh, you know, early to late 70s, even into the 80s anime, uh, much simpler stories. And the big thing was that when it came to specific anime, like the success was dependent on their protagonist. Like your protagonist is your anime. And... Astro Boy is about Astro Boy. Speed Racer is about the main character. Fist of the North Star is the main character. If you take that character out, like a lot of the characters that were comprising of like the store or the uh, the supporting cast really wouldn't be able to hold a candle to exactly. the main character. Especially with stuff like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. If there's no JoJo, oh my God. then there's no show. <laughs> well, and that's something that I think is really, uh, really interesting. And I definitely want to talk more about uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Because I think in a lot of ways that provided 
kind of like the bridge between both classic and modern anime. It's one of the most, it's one of the longest running anime. It's still going on. Yeah, exactly. It really has a lot of blending between the two. Um, But I think JoJo's was interesting and kind of unique in that fact that the main character changed with every chapter. First First chapter was Jonathan, second chapter was Joseph, so on and so forth. And that was really risky at the time yeah like because like we were saying like if you take out the main character like your your show ceases to exist and so the kind of the gamble of okay we've completed the story of the first chapter we're now going to move into a second chapter and tell a story with a completely new protagonist was kind of a make or break moment in the same way that something like a doctor who was when they did their first regeneration and so like you see a lot of times um what a lot of people equate with like mid to late eighties anime is like, that's a lot of battle anime. So like, like a Jojo's like a dragon ball, like a, uh, like a fist of the North star, like those kind of old school were based on their fights. They were based on their main character and there wasn't a whole lot else when it came to the shows. Like world building and things like that. There wasn't, there wasn't too much behind there, but right. I feel like, what was Evangelion about, you know? Was it about that main character, or was it about the world around them? I don't even know <laughs> if Evangelion knew what Evangelion was about most of the time. That's what it felt like watching it. Well, and when you go into, like, more modern anime, you get to see a lot more um, complexities when it comes to the characters and the storytelling. The stories are much more laid out. They're much more layered. Uh, the large, There's been a much larger focus on supporting characters as we go along. Like, we look at something like a My Hero Academia where the supporting cast is so vast and varied that you're able to really, like, sink your teeth into characters that aren't just Deku or aren't just yeah. All Might. It's like they're, they're making something for everybody else. They're making something for everybody. Like, oh, I want to see more about that guy. And they do it, and it's it's pretty cool. Exactly, and that also blends into the types of anime that we see because like even you know considering gundam uh the first gundam anime kind of fell into that like battle anime because it was what caught your eye you know you see a lot of like anime style fights and it's like okay that's what anime is but nowadays and we kind of touched on this last week with our episode with uh with kanan there's anime pretty much for anybody there's a there are sports anime there's uh one of my one of my favorites, I mentioned this last week too, Hikaru no Go, which is basically about Japanese chess. Like, <laughs> anime about that. There's anime about, you know, romance. There's anime about just regular high school stuff. There's anime about superhero high school stuff. Like, the variety of anime and the variety of anime that is successful and is able to go on for a while is really, really cool. But when when you're thinking, like, uh, anime that's been going on for a long time like that, like, One Piece uh is from the like you know late like 90s kind of early 2000s and it's still based around the same character he's still on the same mission and how that his story has um differed from when he first started to now uh 950 something episodes later um it's it's incredible how they're able to keep this character still interesting and still like uh able to make people love him uh, and everything like i think one piece is a great storytelling for for an anime uh just because of how long and how much 
they have put into one character you know absolutely but i also think that his supporting cast is really strong and the idea of like a pirate crew means that you can you know bring characters in you can swap them out they can grow they can change they can go on their own adventures um shanks is still one of my favorite characters from that show like he's fantastic um ace for the short amount of time that i really got to get to know him before he was Anyway, spoilers. Um, like, he was one of my favorite characters. And, like, you get to see these slice-of-life characters in these kind of... You know, we talked about it last week. Beach episodes. Like, fillers really provide, like, a lot of great storytelling. While also, you know, they can they can really detract from a story, too. Exactly. That's a, uh, My Hero Academia is really, really good at doing their filler because they still... They still have, like, you know, story elements, character character building. Like, Deku is still trying to overcome something, uh, whether it be, like, you know, a swimming or something like that. He's still, <laughs> it's still important to him to, like, you know, uh, to be that for his fellow classmates, like this, uh, this fort. Absolutely. I, th- I think My Hero Academia did one of my favorite devices to do a filler episode where they were basically like, it was, I think it was like halfway through the sports festival or something where they were like, all right, this episode is no longer about what we were talking about because we've got a movie to shill. And it's just like <laughs> so blatant and obvious. Like Deku was talking to All Might like, wait a second, we're in the middle of something. And All Might's like, no, we're not. We're going to go and talk about this now. And like, <laughs> it's just so, um, so self, uh, self-aware. self And I think that's something a lot too that has changed because you would never see that with old school anime. They'd never be brave enough to be like, we're going to, you know, lean into the silliness of how ridiculous anime can get sometimes. And a lot of it was very self-serious. Like if there was filler, like it felt, um, I don't know, it felt disjointed because a lot of times with classic anime, like they had a specific story to tell. So you could easily pinpoint like what was filler what wasn't whereas i think i feel like nowadays filler is really like if you aren't reading the manga and you don't know like oh like this wasn't in there like i would have no idea what's filler or what's not exactly (laughs) you would have uh, no clue um one thing uh you said something about a a movie and that made me think about anime and anime movies um a little bit uh there's something that I think Demon Slayer did that's really, really brave or is going to do is a lot of animes tend to like in storytelling, uh, they tend to stick to the show as much as they can. But when they make a movie, they go off and do something else. Um, like, uh, and with One Piece, those movies are great, but there's, for me as a huge fan of the show, I'm like, there's no possible way they could all be together at this moment. There's no way. They can't. This movie's out of nowhere. But Demon Slayer, they are coming out with a movie that pertains to the show, which I think is very brave. And it's very like, it's very interesting because you don't see that. And a lot of people are like, well, for me, in my personal experience, I'm like, why can't the movie like just bleed into the show a little bit more so it connects so it makes sense. And I think Demon Slayer is doing that, which I think is pretty great. That's so interesting because like, I think I... I absolutely agree. Like, you would see a lot of times my measuring stick for that with 
was uh, Dragon Ball Z movies. Because, like, every single Dragon Ball Z movie seems to be in its own different timeline. Like, you have characters that pop up. Like, there is no way these characters are together at the same time. Like, physically, he's dead. He hasn't even debuted yet. They don't have these powers. So, like, what does this mean? And I think when we get to, like, modern stuff, like you said, like, certain movies, um, the first My Hero Academia movie, like, absolutely has been referenced in the mm -hmm. yeah. anime um the current you know the most recent uh dragon ball super movie is exactly like between runs of the anime like it is now we're starting to see more integration which i think is great and we used to never see that unless it was like you know like um like with Gundam specifically, like the Endless Waltz, like that movie was specifically the only way they could make that movie part of it was to make it like an epilogue for the series because <laughs> the storytelling was so like constricted that if they wanted to tell another story, there would be no way to fit it into the universe. And people would be like, what is this? I'm so confused right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that also um, that also kind of moves us into the next category, which is a big part of the anime, especially um, going into its uh, survivability, the fan base that can be around it. And that's the voice acting. Voice acting is so, so important for an anime. Bad voice acting can kill an anime. Like it is it so, really, really can. it is so <laughs> um, imperative that these get as that voice acting gets as much attention as possible. And you would see a lot with classic anime, um, a lot of times it was really bad. I'm just going to say it, a lot of times, like, especially, like, when we're talking about uh, the dub, the very few dubs that we would get into, um, at least when I was growing up, a lot of it was not good. Like, I distinctly remember watching speed racer i distinctly remember watching gigantor where it was like <laughs> there they had no budget besides like the voice acting budget so there's no way that they could get like quality voiceover for it so they'd be like all right so you're gonna record this in this garage and you're just gonna say as many words as you need to while this character's mouth is open so they would like <laughs> their mouth would open like three times just like in the succession of like two seconds to be like, doctor, I don't think we can make it here. We have to move on to the next thing. And it's just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, like stuff like that. How is he saying bees without closing his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> and you would see a lot of times, like, at least for me, that was something that would always put me off with anime growing up. Because I'm like, okay, well, I can watch it. It made it more silly than it, than it was, you know, just regularly because, you know, obviously old school anime is very silly. There's a certain amount of uh, suspension of disbelief that you have to have watching that. But, like, I could easily just change the channel to an anime of that or uh, to a Western cartoon that the uh, voices match up with the mouth movements and, you know, there wouldn't be a disconnect there. So, wh what was your experience with that? Like, how did voice acting, like, um, affect how you would uh watch or consume an anime so um <laughs> when you were uh, like uh, speaking of silly voices for, oh but first um for me i didn't start getting into like the voice acting and understanding how silly it can be sometimes uh until like later in life uh 
but one that came to my mind was the voice of Joey Wheeler from you. you oh you. yes. Uh, like what the choice he made was great and everything, and now he's an iconic character. But like, just thinking about Joey Wheeler, like <laughs> <laughs> just how much fun he must have had in the booth doing that character, or in, in the garage <laughs> doing that character, um, uh, must have been so fun. Uh, but with like stuff like Naruto, a lot of people were like. Oh, I'm sick. How can you watch the dub of like, I believe it, uh, believe it, that stuff, how he yells all that. And I was like super into it cause <laughs> as a kid. But now I rewatch it and then I listen to the subtitle version. I'm like, oh, man, I could have spared myself if I if I just listened to this. I didn't have to listen to him say I believe it a million times. But Naruto does grow along with you, uh, which is nice. Um but I think I think I was just really I was just really into every single uh, character. I think like Trigun, he was my uh, I, I love that voice uh, the voice of Trigun, uh, Bash the Stampede, and then uh, Spike Spiegel um, by with Steve Bloom. Uh, it, absolutely incredible! It's the voices that kind of just stick in your head, you know. For um, sure, a lot of times when you are growing up and you. Uh, before you even know, before I even knew there was like a sub and I always equated like certain voices, like the voice that you did, that was Joey Wheeler. I didn't, I didn't know growing up like that there was another choice that could be made. Like that's the voice of Joey Wheeler. So exactly. like, same here. <laughs> yeah. So like certain things, like when you're realizing, oh, there's a whole nother world with the actual Japanese, um, the actual Japanese voice actors. Now, are you a, a dub or a sub guy? You see, I think, um, it depends on preference for me. Uh, and I think some animes are better in dub and some animes are better in sub. Cowboy Bebop, I will, I, I just, I like it in dub. I don't like the Japanese uh, version that much. Uh, it's amazing. It's still, the voice acting is great in it, but it's just, I think it just stuck with me so well uh, as a dub. And the same with like Inuyasha, even though he yells out Kikyo every five seconds, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it and it, but still, I think uh, when it comes to um, I don't know. Well, what's it called? What's that word? Sentimentality. I think I prefer to listen to the older ones, like the ones I used to listen to as a kid or watch as a kid, um, in the dubbed. But nowadays, uh, I was listening to. I would watch my hero in the dub a lot. And now I kind of tilted into into sub because oh um, interesting yeah because uh, when the fight scenes are happening there's this huge moment um uh, I think you're you're past there uh, with with fat gum you know yes uh, I just moment, got past that yeah <laughs> yeah that moment he's holding red riot and, and everything like in the dubbed it it sounded it sounded beautiful it's heart wrenching but in in the sub it just oh the feelings and just how it was said i think it just blended way uh, a little not way better but like better together uh when he was like hey, you underestimated him and it was just oh this beautiful moment i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well and kanan made a really good uh comment between you know the difference for dub versus sub being uh, accessibility versus authenticity and so like the dub is of course going to be the most accessible but for the authentic sound it really 
does um does help you out to go with the sub and for me i mean i've gotten all kind of different experiences with dubs like my first uh dub of dragon ball was the ocean dub for dragon ball z and it's bad man like a lot of it is not good like the ocean dub yeah the ocean dub was the original um was the original dub that I listened to back when uh, Dragon Ball Z was specifically like you could only get the dub on like VHS tapes, and it and it wasn't like on Toonami yet, so it's like uh, I forget his name. I think his name's Brian Drummond. Voices voiced Vegeta, and his his voice was much more like um, I'll get you, oh, and it's no. like <laughs> like his voice was so different. But that was Vegeta for me. So then when you have yeah, like a Christopher wow. Sabat come in and he's just like Kakarot, and it's like so much like lower and more like royal sounding. It's like whoa, wait a second, been jarring. <laughs> yeah, and that's like a lot of what i had with my experiences when it comes to dub i mean nowadays like it's pretty much all done by funimation and if it's not done by funimation it's done by viz and if it's not done by either of those you can tell and like there there's a very um not like a homogenized but it's all there's a certain standard and like every person for that character is always brought back for that character so there's not a whole lot of variance unless you're going into like fan dubs or like youtube dubs or like a bridge series <laughs> and um it's really interesting how the voice acting has kind of in my personal opinion it's improved you get to see a lot more um very performances for modern anime versus classic anime like classic anime was very like we talked about like very stiff very precise there wasn't a whole lot of character that you could imbue into that um but nowadays you get like really emotional performances like i have um in that arc of my hero like i just like finished up the overhaul arc and like i cried i'm not gonna i'm not ashamed i cried but like I, I would never picture myself, like, getting emotional watching, like, um, like, a Gigantor. Like, I can't. I can't think of that. So, it's really <laughs> interesting how um, much more emotion we get to see with performances nowadays. Exactly, because there wasn't, the, they had to, like, Astro Boy, it was all, it was all just straight up, bah, 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 like that, and now you get these amazing monologues like uh going back to like dub with dub with my hero um at the end of uh the season before this when he fights uh one for all um or all for one i get a mix up <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh but when he's fighting him that that speech he gives and then when he points at at deku and he's like now it's your turn that oh man that, so the versatility people can do now uh with that voice and he's actually uh, I think his name is Christopher Sabat. Yes. Um, and uh, he's been doing, he got, he's gotten so much work because of that beautiful voice. Like on Black Clover, he's one of the, he's one of the, uh, uh, the guild leaders. Uh, and he's, he's amazing there too. And it's just. Oh, Full Metal Alchemist too. What, what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, which, yeah. Who, was he? Armstrong. Was he the ex? Armstrong? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's got he's got a great range on him too to be able to play these different characters. Um, he's fantastic. He's definitely one of my favorites. And we've also seen like kind of the rise of like um, 
of dub voice actors really kind of making it onto like the grand stage. Like you get to see like a lot of these people, like people know who Laura Bailey is. People know who Matthew Mercer is. People know who all these people are, who are voice actors only. And they're getting like really famous, I would say, especially through stuff like critical role, stuff like that. But like they got, they all got their start in anime and doing dub for anime so we've seen um a big rise in voice acting especially what you were talking about with uh, anime movies because that brings in a whole nother audience into it as well it really does um because uh, <laughs> that's a that's people probably got into anime because of studio ghibli films and like you know akira that sort of the stuff the cyberpunk uh kind of feel that Akira gives or like the uh, mythical feel that um, Princess Mononoke gives. And it probably made people go, hey, I want to watch more of this kind of stuff. And then they just went into it and they saw all these new voice actors and it just opened up a whole different world for them uh, just coming from the movie. Yeah, and I think that also kind of speaks to what our final category is, which is uh, accessibility. Because I think if nothing else between modern anime and classic anime, that's what's changed the most is the accessibility into anime just as a genre. Like I think, you know, old school like classic anime, especially during that time, it was a very niche market. It wasn't really made for wider Western audiences. And I remember specifically getting bullied a lot growing up for being like a comic book fan and like a an anime manga fan. And like nowadays, it's way less niche. Like there's a it has like a larger place in pop culture, and it's um I, I think it's helped a lot by streaming services, but also word of mouth, like the improvements on the formula, the improvements on the genre itself have made it more accessible than I think it's ever been. Yeah, I think uh, when I was younger too, I used to like play pretend on the on the playground and stuff. I was Koga from Inuyasha, and I was yeah, and I always get I'd always get like teased and stuff. And uh, there was no one to talk to about anime that often. I had my friend that introduced me to it, and that's about it. So um, all I all I had was the Saturday evenings going on to Toonami, uh, flicking on, I make myself a giant bowl of ramen. Um, and then I'd sit there in front of the TV and just watch One Piece, Naruto, all the all the late night animes that I could because that's all all there was. And now I can just you can just go on Crunchyroll, Funimation, Verve, all these all these streaming services and watch almost thousands of animes (laughs) yeah and even on top of that like you see even on like um i guess quote-unquote more mainstream streaming services hulu has been a big help in like finding dubs for anime currently like i'm re-watching uh jojo's on hulu right now of all places and i'm like this is so weird but like on stuff on netflix too like you see it a lot like a lot of different like the uh the current castlevania series which is very steeped in anime is on uh, is on Netflix, which is probably the biggest streaming service uh, around right now. And being able to access it, being able to find it, um, I think makes recommending it to people a lot easier as well. Because like you know, when I was younger, like recommending like oh man, you should you know you should watch Yu Yu Show. They're like all right, cool. Where can I find it? I'm like all right. So there's a website. You got to take this website. You got to go through this link. You got to go through four other websites, <laughs> oh and then God. you can find 
maybe the first episode and it might give you a virus or not. I don't know. But like now you could be like, all right, you just boot up Crunchyroll. You do like a week long uh, trial run. And if you like it, like you keep it. And it's through streaming services like that, that I think it makes the audience grow more. Oh, it really does. Um, but there's something uh, kind of on a different note. It's There's something a little um, not unpersonable about it at times. Cause I used to feel like these animes were mine and like I, I was like this this person that just knew all this stuff about these animes and I thought I was the coolest cow on the block. And now there's so much and there's so many people watching it that it's just kind of like, um, what, do, what do I know when there's so many people out there watching these as well? Um, like, like, what's good anime and what's not good anime because there's so many people with different opinions now. You don't have time to judge for yourself when people are just like, uh, it's bad and you're not gonna you're less likely to give it a try when when we were younger we had such a such a smaller amount of uh, accessibility and smaller amount of shows to choose from that uh, like you would get into them you would you would make yourself get into them but now there's this kind of like there's a new anime every week that people are watching and you feel like you're out of the conversation if you're not doing it if you're one of those people that um like strictly follow or like not strictly but like want to follow the uh follow where the where the group's going i guess um like there's a lot of there's a lot of that going on i feel it's like a little overwhelming in my eyes how much anime there is that's fair to counter that though i think you know back when i was growing up you did have those uh those people who were like this is the anime that's good and this is the anime that's bad and because of the lack of accessibility to find those you basically had to go off that like you didn't you weren't able to find out and decide for yourself whereas nowadays you can hear you know somebody who happens to be like a gatekeeper or something for anime to be like no this one sucks and this one's good you'd be like okay i'm gonna go on crunchyroll i'm gonna find out for myself and i think that the the value in that and being able to find what works for you because you're not gonna i'm, I'm gonna make a probably a uh, mind-blowing statement to our audience you're not gonna like every anime you watch what? you're not i know <laughs> No. What? No. Uh, oh no! I fell right into his trap card. Like, ah, oh. <laughs> oh. black eyes, red dragon. Oh wait, that's not Joey. No, <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> but like, you're not gonna like every anime you find. But also, you might like an anime that somebody else doesn't like. So it's like True. being able to yeah. find those anime and watch them and, you know, find the value in them, whether you like them or you don't, I think is a really good, uh, a really good show that evolution has brought out, I think, a wider audience and a wider stage for yeah. anime to kind of prosper on. I can, uh, I, you know what? I definitely agree with you on that. Um, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of shows that people are like, um, no, it's not good. Or like, yeah, it's good, but I still watch them. I still love, like, Black Clover. I keep bringing it up, but people don't like it purely because the main character yells a lot. And that's the only argument I hear. It means so then, so then they don't like they don't like Naruto. They don't like Dragon Ball. <laughs> they don't like One Piece. They don't like Bleach. They don't. I could go on. I could keep going. How many more? How many more do you want? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's purely because of that. But um, 
it's just it, it's amazing that uh, people won't give things a try, even though it's a beautiful story that they have. They focus in on one thing and instead of like giving it a chance, they they let go of it. And I think that's unfortunate, especially when there's there is even though there's a lot and it can be overwhelming, there is amazing anime out there and it's constantly coming out. And uh, I'm constantly um, trying to uh, find new ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, like we right now we're kind of in the um, in the golden age of comic book media. And I think that manga and anime, you know, kind of residually has also seen a boost in that. Like I I can't like picture, you know, when I was a kid, you know, going to my local, you know, uh game shop and finding, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh cards and having to like hide my stuff cuz I'd get bullied if people saw that I was yeah. going into the shop. I could never imagine at that point in time like going to a an actual movie theater and sitting down and watching a movie about Dragon Ball. Like I couldn't picture that. And with a, so, with a crowd of people who are just with a as crowd into crowd of you. people. Like, like so many. Yeah. And when you go to an anime convention or like there's conventions now, there's all these there's so many people out there that are just uh it's so into anime and like that's you're right. That's a world that I never saw either. Yeah, and the community has grown and blossomed over the years, and I think a lot of that has to do with how anime and manga as a whole has evolved over the years. Like, I can't picture us, you know, going to anime conventions where the main focus was, like, a Speed Racer, an Astro Boy, a, you know, a Gigantor, like... Those shows absolutely have their value, but it's, like, the mass, you know worldwide craze around them like i could never picture speed racer having the same kind of like cult fan following that like an attack on titan has like Mm -hmm. the way that it was ruling the world for like an entire year it's crazy and then and gundam totally ruled the world uh, when it was a thing but uh yeah i don't think people saw (laughs) there would not have been people going out dressing up as characters yeah and the you know, the widespread appeal of it has really changed, I think, and really improved. Um, and that comes That's down... Like the last couple of years, too, right? Yeah, like... absolutely. Oh, man. You know, and we've seen, you know, shows like like a My Hero, like a One Punch Man, who have kind of banked on the popularity of, like, superhero and comic book media. So it's a good... And I talked about this last week. You know, those shows are a really good gateway into, like, more niche anime and manga you know you can go from watching like a my hero academia to like going into like a yu yu haka show and like the you know the juxtaposition might be a little jarring because it's not going to be exactly the same but like you'll have that kind of base from those shows to kind of propel you forward like okay i know kind of what to expect in this genre going forward yeah like uh when you get into new sci-fi uh like genres uh of of anime it'll always either lead back to someone being like huh i wonder what where all this all started and you go back and there's cowboy bebop and then there's there's stuff like uh like like uh you know gundam and then there's uh what, what's another what's an obscure one again uh sorry. code lyoko code lyoko <laughs> oh god no <laughs> no <laughs> those big forehead children deserve their day in the sun oh but, my God gosh damn it. their hair was awful they look like raindrops <laughs> on sticks <laughs> why what 
and they lasted so long but i watched it i did too (laughs) but yeah and i think like um like it's easy to drop certain anime into those um into those categories like an a classic anime which could be like like we talked about like a a loop in the third fist of the north star astro boy those kind of things where like a lot of people would um categorize like modern animes as like an attack on titan a my hero academia one punch man those kind of stuff uh there's certain anime that i think kind of blend the two um those being like a dragon ball because we literally have it mapped out from like the mid 80s with the original dragon ball all the way up to like a dragon ball super which just ended its run last year so and you get to really see the evolution of that show as the years go by and then you have and we mentioned it before a jojo's bizarre adventure where it is the manga came out in the early 80s and continues even today but along with the evolution of like the art style and the storytelling of that show um in the last 10 years a whole new anime has come out based on the old school manga and it's like watching that gives me very like heavy uh like fist of the north star vibes and even some like some trigon (laughs) vibes as well with some of like the over explained like Speedwagon being like the classic like anime commentator he's like oh he focused his energy into one punch which made it stronger than the tensile strength of the wall in front of him and it's like okay thank you it's like a classic like okay so we needed a guy to like do that where he's today like you'll see it here and there but it's way less um way less common and yet like you see because it's trying to be like still a faithful adaptation yeah it makes it more intricate in a way when yeah JoJo. like you know like uh they're, they're all like even now i'm reading the manga i'm on part seven it's called steel ball run i have heard so many good things about steel ball run it it is so good when you get to the end of part six uh uh stone free um like when you get to the end of that and then you get into Steel Ball Run. It's com- it's like two different worlds almost, but uh, it- it's incredible. And they they're so good at explaining every little thing because you're like, wait, how does that actually work? And then they're like, this is how it freaking works. Boom. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thank you so much. And it actually does help. And it kind of progresses the story and makes it seem more alive uh, when there's more detail and context behind things. For sure. And like I've noticed, like even talking about like more of going across like the history of that show because i think the first chapter started in like 2012 or maybe it might even be more recent like 2016 or something i yeah i think it was like 2016 i think 2012 was when stone free was starting to like get towards its end or got it or at the beginning yeah so like the show is still pretty like it's still pretty modern but it has those like old school battle manga sensibilities where it's yeah. like, all right, so we're going to do a big ol' explanation. Like, I will never forget, like, the first episode of um, of Chapter 2, of Part 2, where they show Speedwagon for the first time. And, like, the first dialogue, because it's been, like, 50 years from the first uh, chapter. And it's, like, the first dialogue from him is, like, ah, Speedwagon, I hear you're a big-time oil tycoon by now. And it's, like, okay, <laughs> so I guess he's a big-time oil tycoon now. 50 years has changed. All right, we're moving on. And so, like, you get to see, like, 
old school sensibilities and i think that's a perfect example of like blending the two and i think there are other shows that do that as well uh yu yu hawk show i keep bringing it up because i love it so much like it does a it really good amazing. job does a really good job at balancing uh old school uh anime tropes with a little bit modern sensibilities which is strange because the anime came out in the mid 90s and you could tell because everything about that show is so 90s that it hurts sometimes but like also shows like jojo's shows like cowboy bebop which is a little bit older and is you know one of the i consider one of the magnum opus of anime you know oh yeah is a little bit older but has incredible voice acting is really accessible the storytelling is on point and the art style is really dynamic see i think cowboy bebop is like a culmination of all the things like starting from astro boy all the way to like you know going through all their movies even even like stuff uh like earlier than that even um like castle in the sky all those studio ghibli like all, all those art styles like kind of and, and gundam and uh, and all that kind of came into Cowboy Bebop, and it really like flourished in that sense, especially with storytelling and, and art style. Uh, I think it, it kind of brought everything together uh, for a, for a moment. Plus, the soundtrack slaps. It absolutely, oh, it's so good. I heard, I heard they made each all the music for each episode uh, before they animated it. I would believe like, it. I heard that somewhere, and I was like, no freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's amazing. Uh, But also, I would believe it too, because uh, Tank is an amazing uh, freaking opening. And then, uh, man, I just I just recently uh, rewatched it. Um, There's a like there's an episode called Bohemian Rhapsody. And you're like, oh, is this going to be about it's going to be like super cool. But it's like about something. It's about an old guy, an old man who plays chess and he's just playing with Ed. And it's like they're having fun. Oh, it's just. It's so different when 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 you bring music in, into it like that. And, Absolutely, uh, and it, it it influences the uh, storytelling as well. I mean, there's an episode in Cowboy Bebop called Jupiter Jazz, which is mm-hmm. so good, and it's so heavily influenced by its soundtrack that you really get to see it. Like one of the things that I would mention, and we keep bringing it up because it's amazing, and you should watch it. My Hero, the soundtrack there is so great. I am a sucker for really good music if it's utilized well in a story. And My Hero does it ah, in spades. I completely agree with you. And then there's and then there's music like uh like One Punch Man, the first season's opening. Uh One, like, punch! One Punch! I listen to that while working out and it gets you ready for the the show uh that, that's about to come into your eyeballs. And uh, it's going to be, and you know it's going to be good because of the music. Um, but then there's uh, stuff like uh, Fruits Basket, where the music's like very subtle, but it goes along with the story. And it's just like these crescendos of these sweet moments and everything. Uh, so there's there's a lot that music um, definitely uh, helps out with in anime. If it was all quiet, it might be a little weird. And it might make you feel like you're watching a horror anime. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, that's another point that can be made about the evolution of anime. Because I remember growing up, you know, when I'd watch things like a Shaman King, like a, um, oh, what was that one? It was, it's not called Dark Angel, but it's like, I can't remember what it's called. But um, you would get a lot of like the openings, like Japanese anime puts a lot of focus on its openings, whether they get in like a really hot 
band to come in and play the song or they compose it themselves um openings for anime are very important and do a really good job in kind of letting the viewer know like hey this is what the show's about and something that i distinctly remember growing up with anime is that the openings were not good they were just not good the the one piece rap that opened up that first season back when it was on, you know, Kids WB and stuff like that was just bad. And I remember being really put <laughs> off by that rap. And I'm like, oh, oh man, set sail for one. Like that stuff, like really like kind of put me off. And you got to see kind of the evolution of that into the um, into the more uh, Japanese style animation. I remember when they made the jump in the english dub from naruto to uh naruto shippuden like yeah. the original like american naruto theme was just a lot of and then when you know the uh, when shippuden starts and it's just like it blares the absolute bop which is heroes come back i was like yeah. whoa wait a second wow okay this could be really cool now so like you get to see the evolution of that as well mm-hmm uh, I feel like uh, a really good soundtrack uh, uh, was from Fooly Cooly. Yes, it's, a, it's an old. Well, I've tried to show like my my girlfriend this, and uh, shout, shout out but... to Taylor. Shout out to uh, <laughs> Michaela and Chris and Angelica. <laughs> uh, but it's the opening number is called "Right On Shooting Star," and it is one of the the best like openings I have heard. Uh, and uh, wait, it, it's either I think it's the ending. It's the ending. Uh, the outro. Um, it's just da da down, 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 and it's just and the overall uh, overture music that happens during the episode is really good, and and it just really pertains to what's going on in the story as well. When the music is emotionally connected to this to the words and the actions of the characters, I think it really builds upon the story, and you don't even realize it because the music is just that good. Um, um, except like, you know, during combat scenes or something when it just comes out of nowhere and you're like, and then, but, uh, that can still be really cool too. Um, when they implement the, the music with the actions of the character. For sure. And I think that that's, um, you know, the action has also evolved as well. There's been a lot of, like, I couldn't compare like the action from like a, uh, like a, a loop of the third, which is very like, and I don't want to sound like I'm dunking oh, on like solid. classic it's, it's anime. Like the action's really good, but like you compare that to something like that's, you know, any of the stuff that's done by like Studio Madhouse specifically, that like they go in on their action. Like some of the action from One Punch Man is yeah. freaking incredible. Like it's Phenomenal. ridiculous. Like the kinetic. Uh, storytelling that you do in that and like you get to see kind of the big evolution because like you look at something like a fist of the north star and it's like all right so i'm going to you know make some weird bruce lee sounds and you're just gonna see a flood of like fists and then the fight <laughs> is over where it's like you look or, at mo- or jojo and it's like it's move by move it's like playing chess because you don't know the stand user that you're fighting or or the like what abilities they have so it's like it's like moving chess pieces uh, and then there's uh and, but Lupin the Third, I think, I think the action is that was much more realism than it was like you know surrealism because like you know, there's weight to it. You're not gonna knock a guy out in one punch. Uh, you know you're gonna try to get away like Lupin would. You know, uh, and then there's I think Naruto with pain. Uh, 
like my that favorite fight villain right there. My favorite villain. Dude, that fight was so when when Naruto gets pissed and just starts going after him, and then there's all these elongated features they have, and then there's like you know the rocks coming up out of the ground. I think that was like the start of something that a lot of animes are taking taking notes from because of how awesome that fight was and how many people really how it stuck with so many people well in that all honestly you know you brought it up earlier that reminded me a lot of the animation you would see in fully coolie like yeah flcl like had a lot of that like stylized animation and now even today i think attack on titan has some has some of the most dynamic action scenes Oh, based yeah. purely it on gets close in it, it pulls out and, and you see them manipulate the hands and you know it's down to the finger movement sometimes yeah and they're you know the jets on them and everything like it kind of forces you to have to treat these like every fight even if they're minor fights is like these grand spectacles mm-hmm. and then there's uh, and then there's like uh what's it called like tokyo ghoul had amazing fight scenes uh that were really 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 good and then there's uh and then you get stuff that are are, are, is just kind of like with fairy tale i love fairy tale but the fights weren't always the best and they weren't always the the craziest but they seem to be down to like one move one move or like two moves and then a couple punches here or something uh and then they stop like like old dragon ball z they'd stop and sit and talk for a while um but I feel like Fairy Tale could have done a little bit more um, when it came to the fighting. But there's also, you know, where's the room for storytelling when there's when there's so much fighting going on? You know, I think that's why they why they pick those pauses. Yeah, and I think honestly, you know, altogether, like we've as we covered a lot, like we we've covered a lot in this episode. Like, and we could honestly, we could probably go on for a couple more hours talking about this. But like. Overall, you know, you have, like, how would you, if I had to, to ask you, like, what is one anime that you would, um, that you would put up as, like, a representation of, like, modern anime? What anime would you put up to represent, like, classic anime? And then one, do you think that kind of blends the two? Okay. <laughs> I think the one <laughs> that best re- represents modern anime right now is probably demon slayer and the reason behind that is the art style is though it seems like the same um it's different it's uh it, they're they're growing i think demon slayer is an excellent um an excellent uh anime to look at when you're looking at the growth of anime because it's doing different things it's doing uh it's doing colorful things more arts art style and hd kind of look to it but also with this kind of old school painting water flowing actions and it's and i think uh the storytelling is also really good because you know it's doing the whole movie bit which is very interesting but also uh but also um you don't see that a lot and then there's uh like char- all the characters that are in it like you know there's a there's the the dumb guy there's like the shy dude and then there's like you know, the leader and yeah, they have all that. So that's, they have the traditional kind of like his, uh, characters, but I feel like when it comes to storytelling, it's, it's a little more intense because like demons and then, um, and then it, it pushes itself to be better, uh, when it comes to, uh, but I think it took a lot from, from like my hero. Cause my hero was definitely a, a 
a jumping point for anime and new anime fans to come in. I think that was when things started to explode for anime. Um, so I think I think My Hero and Demon Slayer are kind of in the same category when it comes to uh, modern anime that is uh, blowing the minds of <laughs> of us old older anime fans because it's so new and so fresh, but it's also the same, which is what we want. We don't want something completely different, um, but we want we want new. And then there's uh, when it comes to man that's really hard the yeah. middle one is really really hard <laughs> I, I i know i just threw this on you i didn't <laughs> um so i'm just gonna uh for the for the older one i would say uh trigon because trigon had you know the kind of aesthetic of post-apocalyptic it had the cyberpunk aesthetic but it had this kind of like desert uh, feel to it. And uh, the characters in it, though they are though they are funny, they are silly, they have all these moments of, of, of laughter and like, you know, of high hijinks and goofs and gaffs. Um, but then when it get when you watch it and you get into it, you notice that these characters are flawed, and you notice that Bash the Sampede is flawed as a character and when you get towards the end, it becomes so much more real and so much more like, oh shit. All right, sorry. Am I allowed to cuss on here? Yeah. Kenny oh. <laughs> did the same thing last week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, th- this, is, you, the, w- this is a safe space. You are free. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but then when, then when it, it really starts hitting you that these characters in, in Trigon are actually like, they're going through things and and they have feelings and they have all these, um, you know, what is my past kind of feel to it. I feel like it, it definitely encompasses a lot of uh, old school anime, especially when it comes to art style and storytelling, because I feel like older anime is a little bit more intense than uh, new stuff like, uh, you know, Cowboy Bebop. It, it dealt with very mature um, things like drugs. It dealt with like, uh, hookers uh things like that <laughs> um <laughs> and then but then you get stuff with uh with my hero uh dealing with like losing losing uh like who you are because of a bullet um like that's that's super intense but there's that there's a certain that's for that character uh specifically and that's like but when it comes to Trigon and the intensity, it's that their whole world. Um, I think it's just like on a mass on a, on a mass thing. It's a, I think it's a little different. Um, and then when it comes to in the middle, there <laughs> is so many. Man, that's so hard. It is. What are what are yours? While uh, I think of mine. <laughs> so um, for new anime, I think. Um... Honestly, my hero is definitely like you were saying. Like it is a huge, like cultural phenomenon in the same way that an Attack on Titan would be. Um, it takes a lot of like what's popular today, and maybe that's you know pandering or whatever. But like you know, making a superhero anime, you know, is still kind of a fresh concept. And so bringing that in, I think it's a great starter anime. We talked about that last week. Um, mm-hmm. 
that it's really it's awesome it's a great representation of what anime is right now when it comes to the storytelling um the characters the the narrative like it's really really great for uh for like a classic older anime um uh, it's that one's tough um i would say you know anything like a lupin lupin the third i think is very classic anime where it's like you know you could just put this on and you don't really need to pay attention to it. It's, you know, it's very, um, the show's <laughs> fantastic, but it is very surface level. Well, I think, you know, as the years went by, they started to make more, uh, serious and more introspective stories. Um, and for the one in the middle, for me, I would probably, I would probably go with JoJo's, uh, just because yeah. you get to see, yeah, and I think because it is a very faithful adaptation to the original manga, so you get to see how it starts off with its very uh, old-school 80s battle anime sensibilities, and like through the seasons, you get to see how it grew and evolved, because that, if anything, is an anime and a manga that really evolved with the times. Like, even, because I haven't gotten to still yeah. ball run yet, but even like part... Uh, part six is so different from part one. Part three is so different from part one, and yeah. it's like so <laughs> There's crazy. There's no more common. They, they, able it's to all stands. Totally yeah, different. Make it so different. And then with Joseph, he didn't have almost any power in the first scene. You see him. He pulls out a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> And he's just like, hey, brr. all right, he doesn't have powers. <laughs> he might be my favorite JoJo. I'd have to think about yeah. it. We we might have to do an episode down the line just talking about JoJo's. That might have to happen. Yeah, because I I love JoJo. I play a I play a JoJo D and D session. No uh, way. What? Yes, my I have a couple of friends that like made stands and they make them based off who you are. So you play as yourself, but the DM makes a stand for you. And it goes along with, like, a song and everything, because each stand goes along with a song. Right. Um, and then mine's uh, two songs put together, because I'm two different people, because I used to, because of, like, you know, my past self and my, my future self uh, aren't the same guy. Uh, so my stand is two different songs. It's called Killing in the, in the Name of Peace. Huh. Uh, Killing in the Name of from Rage Against Machines, because I can be an angry person. And then Peace from Weezer, because I'm not an angry person anymore. Uh, and so they, they kind of made... Uh, that but yeah that's like the session we're playing uh i love jojo so much yeah it's fantastic (laughs) and i think it is a great you know measuring stick because as the show goes along you know i've only watched the anime up to uh part four and so you get to see like how different jonathan is from uh from josuke and like the storytelling just from the first season or from part one to part four is so different and it evolves over time just as the manga did. So I think if you want to get a full like tracking like history of anime, like it's a really good measuring stick to watch that show. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree with you. That's how I feel about One Piece because it's, it, it's a very, when you look at the first episode compared to the episodes now, the art style is almost completely different. Not completely, uh, but like when it comes to color and lighting and stuff, um, it is very different, uh, but I think One Piece spans across generations to the point where it's like, you know these characters just by looking at them. Um, you you know Chopper as the raccoon dog. You know who Frankie is. You know who Sanji is, and all this all this stuff. I think One Piece really uh, was able to 
um, make such a good cast that they were able to keep this anime alive for for years, and apparently they have more than a thousand more a thousand more episodes. <laughs> oh uh, man! Planned because because the manga is like on way past the uh, the actual show. Uh, so that's um, that I'm looking forward to. I think One Piece might be my middle one um, for those reasons, but I was also thinking like Full Metal Alchemist just as a as a yeah. As a, as just a, a one story, you know, it's a it's a story about these two brothers, and it's just <laughs> it's these two brothers. It's <laughs> two it's, brothers. it's about two brothers, and they're and they're they're fighting suit. they're fighting uh, they're fighting dinosaurs, and there's drawing drawing on the ground. <laughs> it's about two brothers. Dog. It's called two brothers. <laughs> it's called uh, Metal Brothers. Um. <laughs> that was a Rick and Morty reference for for well, those of you who who know. And those of you who don't, welcome to this podcast where we make references to anything and everything. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I, I think I think One Piece might be mine. Uh, but yeah, Full Metal as just a show by itself is so um, is something that uh, someone who doesn't even watch anime can just get into. You know, I could I could see. Uh, someone who's never watched it before sit down and just be like oh my gosh this is an actually really good story because an anime overall for me needs just a, a good story um yeah there's that you don't uh what pr- what anime proves is that it doesn't matter what art style there is astro boy doesn't look great it's uh it looks like an off-brand disney but it's it's in itself a good story. And then when you get to later animes, like, like now, um, uh, Black Clover, yes, it has all these extravagant fights that are like the Naruto fight between pain, like those fights, Black Clover fights are really, really good. Um, but like, it's a good story too. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I think anime just needs that, needs that heart and it needs that, um, needs that, that feel, you know, chest. <laughs> Uh, as long as you can get into it, I think an anime is, uh, no matter what it is, slice of life, fan service, as long as you get into it, um, into the story, it's really good. I mean, fan service isn't really about the story, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wrapping up here, because um, I know that we've we've both got stuff we got to do. Is there any, uh, you have any final thoughts on the evolution of anime, how it's changed over time, um, and kind of what effect that that's had on the genre i think anime has came so far and it has really uh become um pop culture it's it's not only uh being put onto more clothes it's not only being like uh like in in brands like shoes and stuff like that um it's it's becoming part of our daily lives which i have always really really wanted since i was a kid i think um though i wanted anime to be mine and my personal thing it's amazing to have so many other people online or like or um across the seas or down the street that watches anime just knowing and and enjoying it i think i think the fact that it's being more widespread and more implemented into our daily lives is that uh yeah I, I think that's a good thing and i think once people start looking more into the morals and the actual teachings of anime 
um, maybe we can all just be friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think there's been this huge jump in in people being kinder to each other, maybe because of anime. Who knows? Um, especially in the younger generations, there's uh, that are just getting into more anime, and I think it's thanks to them that it's, get, it's like becoming more and more of a thing. Um, so thank you, youngins. <laughs> thank you, youngins, for teaching oh, us old people how to be you. kind. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. Yeah, you saved my anime. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is always a pleasure, and it was great talking anime with you. Yeah, I I'm glad to be back for the first time. Back for the first time. Always glad to have a returning <laughs> guest come on for his debut. <laughs> <laughs> but um i would like to continue this conversation uh we talked a little bit about it last week and i would love to have you come back for our roundtable discussion at the end of this month to talk about our top five anime of all time oh okay so uh, all right all right i'll definitely yeah? that yeah I'll definitely yeah all right I'll, so we I'll got two we got two people it. on the I, board. I need to write stuff. <laughs> is, that, is that me and Kanan? <laughs> That's you and Kanan so far. And then our last guest, which will be next week. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, once again, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, can't wait to... You're always welcome back. And um, yeah, anime's, anime has changed a lot over the years. But at the heart of it, it is always about, I think, um, inclusivity. It is about... Uh, bring people together to tell stories that couldn't really be told in another genre. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I don't see the Looney Tunes uh, combating for their lives or, you know, trying to fit into a giant mobile suit or or anything like that. Or <laughs> but Maybe I in the next Space Jam. Really... <laughs> Maybe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And that rockin' intro can only mean one thing. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And we are reviewing Harley Quinn Season 2, specifically Episode 6, entitled All the Best Inmates Have Daddy Issues. So um, if you entered into the series uh, with last week's episode, this is going to be a large culture shock for you because this is nothing like last episode it's nothing like really anything that we've seen so far this season um because this is a flashback episode this is an origin story episode covering the uh origin of harley quinn but not the origin of harley quinn's relationship with the joker but Har harley quinn's origin with her friendship with Poison Ivy. This is uh, this is essentially Harley Qu the Harley Quinn continuities version of Mad Love, but for uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, I love this episode. It's really, really great. Um, the best part about Harley Quinn 
besides the action, besides the comedy, besides the humor, is the characters. The characters and their interpersonal relationships with each other. Uh, Harley and Ivy have the strongest um, uh, relationship in this entire show. Uh, and any time that they get to spend with each other is awesome. And I, I kind of, in my head canon, uh, kind of see that this is happening at the same time as last week's episode is happening. While all that stuff's kind of going down, uh, Harley and Ivy are basically sitting in a bar uh, talking about kind of how... Um, it, well, the episode starts off with a uh, basically a uh, fuck, marry, kill for... Um, for harley like harley and ivy and they're just doing that over drinks but they notice that the bartender looks very familiar and uh this kind of follows up on the ending of season one where we saw that uh joker had been thrown into the vat of chemicals uh before the entire tower came crashing down on him and when he when he supposedly reached his hand out it was a normal skin color so he somehow has been cured um and we kind of get to see, you know, the Joker as just a guy. He's just ordinary. He's a barkeep. He's uh, dating a girl who has kids, who he treats like his kids. Um, it's really odd, but this gives them kind of room to go back and talk about how Harley and Ivy met. And this is a really interesting uh, change from the original Mad Love story, where they had Harley basically obsessed with the Joker kind of from the get-go. Uh, in this one, she really uh, comes off as capable as Harleen Quinzel, as both a psychologist as well as... Um, you know, just a person. <laughs> um, the original Mad Love storyline made Harleen Quinzel out to be kind of a, I don't know, not a not a strong person in her own right. And I think this one uh, went a long way to rectifying that. Uh, her friendship with Ivy is explored here, how they met, how Harley gave Ivy a plant uh, after helping her, whether she intended to or not, and how Poison Ivy really took that as, you know, a sign that Harley would be her first friend. And it's just a really fun episode kind of looking back at, I guess, what could be considered like the golden age of Gotham where Joker's running amok. Um, we get to see past versions of all the characters we've seen so far. Riddler has hair. Riddler has like um, the Batman cartoon hair where it's like, long it's black and it's like down past his shoulders he's like brushing it in his cell like it's knowing that he becomes bald is hilarious um but this also i mean you know it's you know a loose connection but it does kind of connect it to uh the batman cartoon which i personally really enjoyed but overall it's really cool also gives us some really good continuity with certain things like um i had a question a couple weeks back with how uh robin fits into the bat family since batgirl just became batgirl um but we do know now that jason todd was at least a robin before this current robin who i mean we can assume is damian wayne um and that the uh the death in the family storyline did happen because uh joker mentions jason todd by name as having killed him right around this time so we're getting it. We're getting it slowly. Uh, we still haven't seen Nightwing. Haven't seen anything about Tim Drake. If either of them, you know, appear or exist in the story, we'll have to wait and see. But um, anytime Jason Todd's name is dropped, you know that a Red Hood uh, storyline is on the horizon. So we'll see. 
but I thought it was really interesting kind of taking this direction, uh, especially with the Joker, because we do get to see him, you know, also featuring kind of a, um, a under the red hood kind of design with the more uh, long hair, uh, kind of ratty looking, uh, also very heavily resembled uh, Heath Ledger's Joker in that kind of unkempt nature. So it was really interesting. Uh, the idea that Joker might be gone for good here, I think, is... I mean, they're not going to completely keep him gone for good. Uh, we did see a tease at the end where he, you know, laughed like the Joker before popping back into his, like, normal Joe uh, personality. But I thought it's interesting, and I like that they're giving him time to breathe so that we can get focused on other villains, uh, namely Harvey Dent and Two-Face. Uh, Harvey plays a pretty pivotal role in the flashbacks where he is just scummy, uh district attorney harvey dent showing that he was two-faced even before he became two-faced uh harley also takes the ownership of calling him two-faced for the first time so i liked that but overall really really good episode uh really kind of struck at the core of what the show has been so far which last episode as good as it was didn't really do so i'm looking forward to seeing it we are almost halfway through this season um and I can, I'm really excited to see what happens. The episode ends off with a cliffhanger of Harley and Ivy getting captured by, um, by Two-Face's men. So we'll see where we go from here. Really excited to check out next week's episode. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly review. We are now going to roll on into this week's Comics Callback. Welcome back to this week's Comics Callback. This is the segment of our show where I talk about five comics that I think you should go back and check out. Whether it's on Comixology, the DC Universe app, or whether you just go back to your shelf and dust off your old copy of the book. Last week, we covered Robert Kirkman titles. This week, category is historical fiction. I wanted to talk about comics that dealt with uh, history since uh, a major part of this week's episode was um, talking about history, talking about how time passes, how things change and evolve. And so these are five comics that either indirectly or directly deal with historical events. And so I'm really excited to talk about these. Let's go ahead and dive into our first piece, which is American Vampire Volume 1, written by Scott Snyder, with art by uh, Raphael Albuquerque, also written by legendary novelist Stephen King. Uh, this is really, really cool. American Vampire is a story that I've been wanting to cover on the podcast for a really long time. It's really fun. It's one of my favorite Scott Snyder anything. And uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis, and then we'll talk about the book. Two stories for the price of one. In Scott Snyder's story set in 1920s L.A., we follow Pearl, a young woman who is turned into a vampire and sets out on a path of righteous revenge against the European vampires who tortured and abused her. This story is paired with Stephen King's, a western about Skinner Sweet, the original American vampire, a stronger, faster creature than any vampire ever seen before. 
So that synopsis does not do justice. The amazing stories that happen in this, just in this series. This first volume is really great because it kind of sets up the expectation for the stories going on. Each volume covers a different time period, which is really fun. And it's just a different look at how vampires are kind of looked at. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about vampire stories, they're set in uh, European countries, uh, set normally, you know, the best vampire stories, I think, are normally set during, you know, like the 1800s or even farther back. But this one, I mean... As you heard in the synopsis, the first one is set in 1920s L.A., and I'm a sucker for the 1920s. It's a great story uh, following some really compelling characters with art by Raphael Albuquerque, one of my favorite artists. It's so good and absolutely worth your time. Uh, next up, we're going to take up one that's a little bit more uh, serious. This isn't a full volume, but a single issue. Um, I wanted to include it because this is, you know, the category is historical fiction. So it's talking about real world events through the lens of superheroes. And um, you would be hard pressed to not you know, to talk about comics and historical fiction without talking about our next pick, which is Amazing Spider-Man number 36. Written by J. Michael Straczynski with art buyer John Romita Jr. Um, this is a very heavy issue. This is one single issue, but it is absolutely worth your time to read because this, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to dive into the synopsis and then we'll talk about it. The web-slinger struggles with the most horrific tragedy ever to befall his city, the events of September 11th. So you can see why it's kind of a heavier issue. Um, this issue of Amazing Spider-Man came out um, on October 31st, 2001, literally just over a month after the uh, September 11th attacks. Um, this is a heavy issue. This is very, very heavy. Um, but it's also, it's an incredible read. Uh, say what you will about J. Michael Straczynski as a writer. Say what you will about, uh, John Romita Jr.'s art, especially in the last, you know, decade or so. But they really came, they came guns blazing with this issue. It is impactful it is heartfelt and it puts the spotlight not just on uh heroes like spider-man captain america who has an amazing page that i i literally remember crying reading um but also you know it puts a big spotlight on the real heroes of 9-11 you know the first responders the medical staff firefighters people who helped their neighbors it's really just a heart-wrenching but also you know a bittersweet and uplifting story about how one city comes together um it's i mean you you would have to tell a story like this it's a really uh tough um ask for superheroes to be part of like a real life event like this especially with it being so fresh um at the time of its release but literally all of uh marvel's superheroes operate of out of new york so i think it would have been in kind of bad taste to not 
do that. Um, I recently actually reread this issue uh, probably like last week, and it still hits just as hard as it did when it first came out. So this is absolutely worth your time. Um, and I think it's a comic that is worth reading today with a lot of the uh, divisiveness going on um, in America and really everywhere. But I don't want to get too political, but it's um, it's absolutely worth your time to read. Uh, next up, we have something that's a little bit more uh, lighter fare, though I guess that depends on your perspective. Uh, it's Superman Smashes the Clan, written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Gurihiru. Uh, this is one of my favorite Superman stories ever, and it's probably, it's, it is the newest book of the bunch. I love this story. It is so good. Let's go ahead and just jump into the synopsis. The year is 1946, and the Lee family has moved from Chinatown to downtown Metropolis. While Dr. Lee is eager to begin his new position at the Metropolis Health Department, his two kids, Roberta and Tommy, are more excited about being closer to the famous hero, Superman. Tommy adjusts quickly to the fast pace of their new neighborhood, befriending Jimmy Olsen and joining the baseball team, while his younger sister Roberta feels out of place when she fails to fit in with the neighborhood kids. She's awkward, quiet, and self-conscious of how she looks different from the kids around her, so she sticks to watching people instead of taking to them. When the Lees try to adjust to their new lives, an evil is stirring in Metropolis, the Ku Klux Klan. So, um, this is, like I said, one of my favorite Superman stories of all time, and one of the best Superman stories involving real-world events. Uh, this is an adaptation of the original, um, Clan of the Fiery Cross story from the Superman serial, uh, or the Superman audio serial that came out uh, way back, and it is a fantastic story, um, and it's kind of, you know, I, th I think it's uh, topical for our, uh, our series right now, anime, because there are a lot of anime elements when it comes to its art style, which is great. Um, this also deals with something that I think is important. Uh, today, you know, dealing with the um, the idea of racism, of people being different, of accepting and embracing what makes you unique and an individual. And it's an incredible story. Superman at his core is an immigrant, and I think that it is so great really imbuing that into this version of Superman and into a story that while also feeling uh, classic and retro also feels incredibly current and uh, one of the best stories that you can read right now. Next up, we're going to move back on over to Marvel with another uh, hit that is fairly recent this came out last year that is spider-man life story you want to talk about evolution you want to talk about um changing with the times this is an incredible story one of my favorite spider-man stories and uh it's just fantastic it's written by chip zadarsky art by mark bagley uh two of the powerhouses two of the best spider-man creators ever to be put on the character uh coming together to tell an incredible story that spans decades so let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here in 1962's amazing fantasy number 15 15 year old peter parker was bitten by a radioactive spider and became the amazing spider-man 57 years have passed in the real world since that event, so what would have happened if the same amount of time passed for Peter as well? To celebrate Marvel's 80th anniversary, Chip Zdarsky and Spider-Man legend Mark 
Bagley unite to spin a unique Spidey tale, telling an entire history of Spider-Man from beginning to end, set against the key events of the decades through which he lived. Prepare to watch Peter age through 57 years of groundbreaking history and find out what happens to him and those he loves the most. So this is just an incredible take on Spider-Man. Like, they're basically taking Spider-Man and giving him the Constantine treatment. For those of you who don't know, the original Hellblazer comic uh, actually aged in real time. So you got to see uh, Constantine age over the course of decades. So watching Peter every single issue take on a new decade is really, really cool. It starts in uh, the 1960s. Issue 1, 1960s, when Peter is still in high school. And every subsequent issue is a new decade. So issue 2 is the 1970s, issue 3 is the 1980s, so on and so forth, all the way up to the 2010s. It's a fantastic story, kind of charting how Peter's life would have gone through the events of uh, the real world. We get to see Peter react to Vietnam. We get to see Peter react to the Cold War. Um, there is even a mention of 9-11 in here as well. So there's a great 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 variety from each issue on the story that they tackle because each issue also deals with kind of trying to blend real world storytelling with uh peter's publication history so they work in secret wars they work in the black suit saga they work in craven's last hunt they work in the clone saga they work in Miles Morales, they do all of it spanning the course of six decades for Spider-Man. It is a fantastic story and absolutely worth your time. But the big book that covers a historical event, the basically the bar that is set for any kind of comic that tackles any kind of um, historical fiction, at least for me, in my opinion, is DC's The New Frontier. Written illustrated by darwin cook it is it's a masterpiece it really is there's no other way to um there's just really no other way to explain it it is a fantastic story um written written and illustrated by one of the greatest people to ever do it um dave stewart i can't forget dave stewart also contributes heavily on this book along with darwin cook but this is just Ugh, it's one of my favorite DC stories of all time. I know I've said that with a couple of these stories, but it is, uh, it's truly deserving of that title. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Welcome to the DC Universe in 1950s America, a land of promise and paranoia, of glittering cities and segregated slums, of dizzying scientific progress and simmering Cold War conflict, a land without the Justice League, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, or so it seems. The masked mystery men who fought for freedom in the Second World War have been outlawed. The soldiers and spies who conducted top-secret missions into the unknown now work in the shadows. And those icons who do still fight on, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, operate under hidden agendas and dueling ideologies. Yet this America needs its heroes more than ever. With darkness gathering on the horizon once more, only a bold new generation of adventurers, young, daring, and dedicated to the better angels of our nature, is equal to the challenge of the new frontier. So this book is 
great. <laughs> um, it's probably one of my favorite comics of all time, bar none. Um, I love the art style. The fact that it's pretty much set in the 60s as well is um, is fantastic. This really covers the transition from the Golden Age into the Silver Age. There's a big part of this book that covers the end of the Golden Age, as alluded to in the synopsis, with the disbanding of the Justice Society amidst uh, McCarthyism, as well as the birth of the Justice League. You know, we get uh, the transition into the origin of Hal Jordan as a Green Lantern. We get the debut of Barry Allen as the Flash. We get to see how times have changed, how people change. Uh, there's a great tracking of uh, Batman across this story, going from the uh, kind of terror that flaps in the night uh, to someone who could take on a sidekick, a kid's sidekick, no less. And we get to see how the real world would shape the DC universe, how it would shape DC heroes. You know, Vietnam uh, is on the horizon. We have the Korean War going on at the beginning of this as well. So there's a lot of political commentary in this. There's a whole subplot with um, a with an African American vigilante who just. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Um, but overall, it's a fantastic story that really not just celebrates the. Uh, the Silver Age as well as the closing of the Golden Age, but also celebrates comics, celebrates how they change, how they grow, how they evolve, how these characters, while still being of their time, are also timeless. And it is absolutely the best example of comic books and historical fiction. So that is it for this week's comics callback. To recap, we have American Vampire Volume 1, Amazing Spider-Man number 36, Superman smashes the clan, Spider-Man life story, and DC's The New Frontier. Um, I love blending comic books with historical fiction. I think it's some of the best uh, storytelling that you can get. Some of these comics are, as I've mentioned more than once during this segment, uh, some of my favorites and some of the best, I think, comics that have been written, whether they're talking about, you know, modern age, uh, classic age, however you want to look at it. And overall, you know, these stories are going to continue. These stories are going to keep coming out. Stories about really heavy historical events. We've seen, you know, comics such as, um, such as Watchmen covered, you know, the really paranoid part of the Cold War in the 80s. We've seen comics deal with more recent stuff. We've seen comics deal with stuff all the way back in like world war one so um as we go along and as history continues to be shaped and uh evolves comics are going to be right there with it and that is going to bring us to the final segment of this episode which is the wrap up um thank you very much for listening to us all the way through i really do appreciate it. if you liked what you heard this week and you're new to our podcast feel free to uh subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a uh, rating and review uh giving us a five star uh, rating and review on itunes especially really helps us out gets the word out there and gets us into the uh the orbit of listening 
listeners just like you. And of course, if you do end up writing us a five-star review, I will read it here live on the podcast. We've got one five-star review currently on uh, on Apple Podcasts, and I would love to read more. Um, so feel free to do that for us. Again, really helps us out and really helps us grow as a podcast. A uh, quick shout-out as well. Um, I am going to be... Uh, making a guest appearance on the Artistic Liberties podcast. Uh, make sure to check that out on uh, SoundCloud. I'm going to be talking about Superman and spirituality. Of course, you know, Superman is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So we go really in depth on Superman and not just his relation to spirituality, but what uh, what lessons you can kind of glean from Superman when it comes to spirituality, individuality, and all that fun stuff. Uh, it's a podcast that is still in development by uh, good brother Andrew Kincaid, who has guest made guest appearances on this podcast himself as well. So definitely go and support him. He is fantastic, and he is um, just talking about some of the coolest stuff that you can imagine when it comes to spirituality, comics, and everything in between so definitely go check that out uh my episode with him uh, is going to be coming out this week so definitely look for that um and that's going to do it for this week's show i've been really excited going back through uh anime i love anime have since i was a kid and i have been loving these conversations that i've had so far with kanan and john next week we're going to be taking a look at uh how anime and relates to film and its effects on each other i'm going to be having that discussion with good brother and again new guest in the podcast dustin reefer so make sure to look for that next week same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time I'm glad to be back for the first time.